Our scripture reading this morning is Matthew 20, 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have, been borne, the, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Do you, did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to, his, to the last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. We are continuing on in our sermon series on the parables. We got another good one this morning. It's good to see you guys here this morning. Um, being good Christians, doing your good Christian duty, coming to church here on Sunday morning. Um, I don't know if, uh, if you guys know, but this is actually the 4th of July weekend. Uh, this is the weekend when everybody leaves town and grills brats. Uh, it's the weekend that we set off useless explosives, say America. Um, it's good to see you guys. Um, thanks for being here this morning. I'm, I'm excited to, to actually look at this parable this morning with you. Um, and... Uh, and I think uh, if we look at parables and Jesus' use of, of parables, it's a tool that he uses to illustrate uh, some truth that he's trying to communicate. Um, and he does that in the midst of people that he knows some are going to hear and some aren't going to hear. And I think uh, it's, it's good and important and right for us to remember that as we sit uh, and study and listen to uh, our Lord instruct us from the parables, that that requires discernment on our behalf. And as scriptures teach us, discernment requires wisdom, and wisdom, the fear of the Lord. Um, and so, as we as we sit here this morning, um, I think we have a great opportunity to sit under the instruction of our Lord, uh, of one who cares for us as a good shepherd. So, um, to get started this morning, this is the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Uh, we have a picture of an owner of a vineyard. He goes out, he checks the grapes, and says, "Wow, these are ready. I got to get these in." Uh, and so he goes out to the marketplace and he finds some workers and says, Hey guys, I'll give you 500 bucks. I want you to help me get these, these grapes in. And they say, yeah, we'll do that. Uh, and he gets going. And a couple hours after they start working, he looks around and he says, there's a lot of grapes. We need more help. And so he goes out again and he finds more people. Uh, and he says, Hey, I know that we've already started the work day, but look, I'm going to take care of you. I'm good for it. And they come out. And they start doing work in the vineyard. And about lunchtime, 
he walks around he does the whole thing again and takes his afternoon break and walks around and he does the whole thing again so he's been hiring these workers all through the day uh, to the point that the hour before quitting time he looks around and he's going to do it again he's obviously something's going on here Uh, and so he goes out and he finds more workers he brings them into the fields they work for the last hour and at the end of the day, he says to his guy, hey, I want you to line everybody up and pay them. And, and I want you to start with the people that started the work day last. I want them at the front of the line. And the people that showed up first and worked all day, I want them at the end of the line. Last workers of the day, first. First workers of the day, last. And we see this picture of how they're going to get paid. And the guy goes down the line and he pays the last workers, who were now first, 500 bucks. And he goes all the way down through the line and gets to the people that have been there all day long, 500 bucks, right? The people that have been there working all day say, hey, what's going on? Those guys got paid the same amount as us, and we've been working all day long. I, I don't know what the guys at the beginning, or the guys at the front of the line who've only worked an hour were saying, Maybe they were really happy. Maybe they were really annoyed and didn't want this dirty, unearned money. I don't know. But we do know that the workers who are last, who have been working all day long, are grumbling. And they're grumbling because they don't think it's fair. Which is the question. Is this this owner of the vineyard fair? That maybe isn't a helpful question, actually, because there isn't any good way to see this one except from the owner's perspective, but for everyone else's vantage point, that's a, that's a relative idea of what's fair. So we could ask the question of, is the owner of the vineyard generous? And I, I think it's safe to say he's generous. Uh, he was fair to all the workers who signed up to work. Um, he gave them what he promised to give them. Uh, and the workers who are now at the front of the line received a very generous amount Uh, in exchange for their work. So we see um, fairness maybe in question. I think generous is definitely pictured here. But maybe more helpfully, we should step back and ask the question of who is this parable for? Like why why is Jesus even telling this this parable or illustrating this, this picture of the last being first and the first being last? Um, and so contextually, we actually have to, actually have to jump back to the chapter before in Matthew 19. Um, we see this scene play out for us. Uh, Jesus is there with a group of people teaching, obviously, because that's what he, he did. Um, and this rich young man came up to Jesus and he asked the question, Hey, what, what do I need to do to get eternal life? Right? And I don't know Jesus' um, demeanor in the response, but he says... Well, if you want to play the game of what you need to do to get eternal life, well, the commandments are there. Have you kept all the commandments? And the rich man says, yes, I have. Uh, and so without even skipping a beat, Jesus goes on to, all right then, if you've kept all the commandments, let's see if, if the heart behind them is there. I want you to take everything you have, sell it, give it to the poor, and hang out with me. And the rich man turns away, sad, presumably, uh, because he can't. He can't do that. Um, so there's this picture of the, of the rich man hearing what he needs to do to be saved and, and going away. And then Jesus says, 
Look, guys, it's really hard for a rich man to get into the kingdom of God. In fact, it's impossible for man. But with God, anything is possible. And then you see Peter. Peter, you got to love Peter. He speaks up, right? And he asks Jesus this question. He gets his chutzpah. He says, hey, look, Jesus, we've left everything. We've left everyone. We're with you. What do we get? And so Jesus replies. And I don't know if, if Jesus replies to Peter, who just asked this loaded question, like, if, he, if he's like, <laughs> that's cute, Peter, or if he's, if he's like, kind of crying a little bit because he can see what's going on here, or if he's just frustrated, if he just patiently instructs. But he goes on with Peter. He says, hey, Peter, yeah, you're going to sit on a throne. You're going to judge Israel. Yeah, you're going to be there with me, but you're asking the wrong question. Right? You're thinking about this the wrong way. In fact, there's going to be other people who are going to leave their family and their stuff, and they're going to, they're going to follow me for my namesake. And they're going to receive a hundredfold. But, but you're thinking about this the wrong way, Peter. You see, at the end, the first are going to be last, and the last are going to be first. And so Jesus launches into this parable to illustrate for Peter and the disciples that the way that they're thinking about this is the wrong way. That he, the owner of the vineyard, doesn't give regard to the performance of the workers, but bestows on them freely and generously his favor. Jesus says, hey, Peter, you're thinking about this the wrong way. You're thinking about this in terms of what you can do to get in return. Peter, you're going to be at the party at the end of the day because I've invited you. Right, Peter? Peter's thinking about um, good guys and bad guys. He's thinking about the rich man being the bad guy who can't get it done. Peter, the good guy who can get it done because he's given up everything. He's done the one thing that Jesus has required of him. Um, and, And Jesus is telling this parable to the disciples, for the disciples, so that they can see that they are actually in the same exact boat as the rich man. Do you guys see this? Do you see that um, they're both in this mindset of what can we do? Right? It's It'd actually be worth asking the question of what's the difference between the disciples and the rich man? Because they both were asking, what do we get? What do we do for eternal life? They're both asking Jesus for the answer. And they're both in this mindset of eternal life is something that I can obtain through my activity, through what I do. Um, right? There's a lot of similarity, but the, the difference between the rich man and the disciples is that the rich man is aware that he can't do what Jesus has asked him to do. That his actions won't actually measure up. The disciples are still in this mindset that they actually can do something that will make them happy. That they can obtain what they're looking for, which is this reward. And Jesus is saying, no, look guys, 
you're going to be at the party at the end of the age because I invited you, not because you showed up two hours early for setup. You're, you're my, my favor is upon you because I've invited you. Um, so we get this, this picture of them uh, being included in the grand work of Christ, but not on the basis of their hard work and not on the basis of their um, radicalness, as they so thought. Um, which gets us to the good news. The good news, ultimately, in all of this is that God's favor is upon us without regard to our performance. Right? Um, the rich man was in this performance mindset, and he went from... Um, he went from a sort of a self-confident quarterback to kind of a hopeless singer-songwriter in an instant because he could see that his efforts, what he had within him to contribute, he couldn't do it. There was an impossibility there in him. And so in a moment, you almost, you almost see the rich man as being closer to salvation than the disciples because the disciples were still in that mindset of, we can do this stuff that God is going to value. It's going to get us farther up the line. We're going to have better seats at the party. And Jesus is saying, no, guys, listen. You're invited to the party because I invited you. You're at the party because I invited you. And the VIP line is at the back of the line. So we have good news. Good news to hear today that God's favor is not contingent on our performance of how good we do, how bad we do. There aren't good guys and bad guys. There's not a bar that we have to cross to get in. We're invited to a party that the grace and favor of God rests upon us, that in his economy, performance doesn't even weigh in. So we get to this place of, of freedom and grace, and it's good and it's beautiful. Um, I think we overlook this a lot. I think we overlook the good news of how free God's grace is. And we think about the Christian life like the disciples of a series of things that we do goals that we're working towards, things that we accomplish, and we forget that we are born into grace, that we are awash in the favor of God, that it is impossible for us to work into or out of that favor, that we are called to a life of faith, not a life of making him happy. That has been accomplished by our Lord. We are called to a life of trusting him amidst all the textures that life brings. Whether it's difficulties at work, strife at home, friendship friction, um, good days and bad days, in the midst of all of that, we are asked to trust God with one objective. Love one another. You're free 
in a great big field of grace to run around, trust your shepherd, and love each other. Just a, that's, that's it. Right? We're not worried about where the fences are at. We're not worried about um, how well we're measuring up, what standards we're meeting, hitting our metrics. We're awash in grace. And it's good news, and we forget it a lot. So I just wanted to say, good news. God's favor doesn't depend on how well you perform. Um, I think I also wanted to say this is an opportunity for people who uh, suck at life to hear good news that even though uh, you're not that good at accomplishing things that you're supposed to do um, that there's grace for you who still can't measure up um, some of you actually suck at life at the point that you actually believe that there isn't grace for you um, and I wanted to point out that there's no one here in this assembly um, who, whose favor God does not rest upon but the favor of God is upon you and the only thing that prevents his favor upon you is your refusal to accept it so this is a clarion call to those of you who are just not good at being good God's favor is all over you. Receive it and rejoice it and walk in it. Um, some of us are in, in, we're enthralled, we're enticed by living a radical Christian life. We hear about um, the missionaries before us. Uh, we hear uh, about purpose and meaning and wanting to be uh, useful and sold out and authentic and real and so we we value um, giving up everything you know and actually trying to accomplish what Peter was asking Jesus about like being um, completely 100% on board and Jesus just he's pointing out like look go do that um, it just doesn't get you any farther ahead, right? Go do that. Like some of you have this desire to go do great radical things for God, um, to accomplish great stuff, and that's that's great. I think you should go and do that. Just remember that it doesn't get you any farther ahead. Um, so here's here's kind of where we get to is that you can go and work your tail off. Um, or you can be a complete slacker. Um, God's favor is upon you. What's at stake is your joy. And I want you guys to live life that's abundant and full, which is what Jesus came to give. Life that's true, that's abundant, that's full. Um, so, it's fourth. I'm short-winded today, kind of. Here's where we're at. Right? I, I like this parable because you can hear Jesus saying to the world my favor is upon you I'm not going to withhold from you come and get your full day's wage overachievers slackers alike you're invited to the party my favor does not depend on your performance and that's good news so let's walk in and enjoy it
pray. Uh, Father, I thank you that you set um, you set us on our head to show us the real perspective of the world, your perspective. Um, that you do invite us to a great party um, and that you are not concerned with us getting in as if we could. You're not uh, fixated on us measuring up to your standards, but that you have provided your son. You've provided us uh, with your favor and your love and your care. Um, And I, I pray for us as a people that this reality would sink in, that it would be a sweet to us that we would live in light of that um, and even more so that you would lift um, the subtleties and the blindness that we have um, to seeing this in our everyday life over and over again. Um, that this message wouldn't grow old in the mundane of our life. Um, that you would call us again and again to receive and enjoy the life that you've given. For this in Jesus' name. Amen.